All right, Romans chapter 14. If you, if you found that, why don't you stand and uh, we'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Romans 14. And call your attention to verse 13 read down to verse 19. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 13. <clears throat> Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then... Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray that your grace would be felt and real. I pray that people's souls would be refreshed and nourished. I pray that you draw us closer to the joy of following Jesus. Give us hearts and hands to strengthen other brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us be the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Included in my prayer was the prayer, Help Us Be the Church. The church is not just a place that you go. It's a family where you belong. It's a people that are yours. Your people. You might even say it's a spiritual home you want to use that language a connected part of you that's hard to leave and harder still sometimes to stay it's what we are a family of refugees a family of refugees that were once dead in sin but now we've been sought by God, redeemed at the cross, and loved by grace in Jesus. You hear me say some things about depravity. Depravity is nothing more than sinfulness. It is our state of depravity, our sinfulness, that is the common ground we stand on. And it is the cross of Jesus, which is the gospel of God, that is the common unbreakable bond that we share. It's why this passage is so helpful to me. This passage is so helpful when it comes to living the Christian life. To living the Christian life with people who love Jesus like you do, but are remarkably different than you are. That's nothing new. This little letter named the book of Romans, it is written by Paul. It is written to a mixed church in Rome. 
and it's written to help them center on Jesus and give space to one another. This is, this is the classic Christian liberty and Christian responsibility passage. When I say Christian liberty, what I mean is the freedom that you have in Christ, the freedom that we have in Jesus by the grace of God as new covenant children. We are not living under legalism. We're living by grace and in grace. So when I say Christian liberty, that's what I mean. As new covenant children of God. Now, when I say Christian responsibility, what I mean is the mandated Christ-centered care that we have to live our lives as a source of encouragement to other brothers and sisters in Jesus, the church. Making sure that the freedoms that you have, that I have, that we enjoy, that the freedoms that we enjoy in Jesus don't harm other brothers and sisters that might be struggling. That's what Paul says. I mean, you can feel it in the... You can feel it in verse 13. Paul sees that judging and backbiting and division, he sees that it is a problem. That's why he says in verse 13, just look at it with me. Let's not pass judgment on one another any longer. In other words, that's what you've been doing and it needs to stop. Because it's the tendency of human nature. Instead of passing judgment, you're going to see this passage tells us we need to pour, we need to pour the glue of grace over the whole body of believers and let grace do its miraculous, cohesive work. What do we need to do? What can we do as Christians? I think we need to strengthen one another. One another. In fact, I'll say it like this. We do the things of God, we do the things of God so that we might strengthen the people of God. Do the things of God to strengthen the people of God. Now, I just want to give you two points this morning. I've cut it in half, I'm going to give you two points. Now, some of you uh, are quick to tell me when I use some sub-points that I actually am giving you more points than two, but, but I just want to correct you on this. I'm giving you two points, there will be a couple of sub-points under each one. Here's the first one. Number one, we need to decide right things. We need to decide right things. Let me, let me show what I mean by that, what, what those right things are. You'll find in verse 13 and 14 and 15, what are those decisions we need to make? Well, verse 13 tells us we need to decide to not cause another person to stumble. Do you see that in verse 13? Look with me at verse 13. Let's read it and talk about it. There it is. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but or rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So we're not judging. What's the antidote to judging? Here's what we're doing. We are never putting a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. That means that you, where you are, you are giving real thought to your life, how you live your life, and what effect your life and how you live it has on other Christian people, especially those that might be struggling. Remember this passage, he writes to the weak and the strong, and now he's talking to those that might be strong, and he says, you... You've got a little bit of responsibility. In fact, verse 13 is a vivid idea. Think about it with me if you will. 
someone slogging along in life, barely making it, trying to keep their head up, weary from walking this long journey, tired from all you've been, all you've been through in the last several months. You just barely make it and you're, you're on the sidewalk and you come up on an uneven piece of the sidewalk that you didn't actually see. And the, the, the toe of your tennis shoe catches that uneven piece and you go completely to the ground. Paul says, I, I know you have freedom by God's grace to live under the grace of Jesus and there are things that you can do that are not sinful for you. But if what you're doing is hurting another brother or sister that believes that it is sin, then, then you miss the whole point of, of living Christianity. Don't be a, a stumbling block. He uses another word there. You'll see it in verse 13. A stumbling block or that word hindrance. Do you see that word? That word hindrance is the Greek word scandalon. It's, it's where we, you can hear it even in the Greek word. It's where we get the word scandal. That word has a more sinister edge to it. It's, it has the idea of a trap. For instance, we are running into the fall pretty quickly and all of the political conversations that come up and so many times and I'm engaged in those conversations, it feels like a trap. And Paul says categorically, in Jesus' name, we have a responsibility to one another to, to help brothers and sisters not trip and fall and certainly don't push one another into a trap. So we might ask the questions about activity or things we say. If you're posting on social media, you might ask questions like, am I saying this, here's a good question, am I saying this out of love? Or if you're not saying something but doing something, am I doing this out of love? That's what verse 13 points to. Or maybe here's another question, more pointed. If I do this or say this, am I encouraging faith in another brother or sister? Am I encouraging, will this encourage faith? Or, if you need it more pointed, will this drive my sister in Christ to Jesus? See, we need to decide not to make other people stumble. There's something else, though. Verse 13 has that whole, uh, I don't want to be a stumbling block, I don't want to be a hindrance or a trap. Verse 14, though, you turn the coin over, and Paul's talking about your Christian liberty. So we need, I'll give you another decision to make. This is not another point, this is a sub-point. You need to decide to be confident in grace. Decide to be confident. Listen to the confidence of Paul in verse 14. Listen to what he says in verse 14. There is a triple layer of confidence in verse 14. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> I know, that's one layer, and am persuaded, that's the second layer, a layer in Christ Jesus, that's the third layer. What's he confident about? That nothing is unclean in itself. Unless you think it's unclean. You see it in verse 14? Unless you think it's unclean. But if it's unclean, it is unclean for anyone who actually thinks it is unclean. What is he talking about there? Well, you see that triple layer of confidence. I know, I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus. He's saying with as much emphasis as he possibly can that because of the grace of God and Jesus, I am a new covenant believer. This is the declaration of Christian liberty. I have liberty to live in a way that honors God, doesn't violate the Scripture. And if it, does, if it honors God, doesn't violate the Scripture, then I have this liberty to be able to do it. 
Paul says, yeah, that's true. I have that grace. I have wonderful liberty and grace in Jesus. I am free. We even sing that here, or the freedom of, of Christ. I mean, this, this, is not, this is not a new concept. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 7, when Mark says, there Jesus said that and he declared all things unclean. Peter experienced this in Acts chapter 10. Remember when he's getting ready to talk to Cornelius and the sheet came down with all those crazy animals on it? And Peter said, no, I'm not going to eat that. And God says to him, don't declare something unclean that I've said is clean. So Jesus says it, Peter experienced it, and now Paul is preaching it to us, and he's reminding us, when you come to Christ, this is, this is important if you came out of a legalistic, a fundamentalist legalistic background, or if you came out of, let's say, the Roman Catholic Church, where uh, you, they, the church does believe in grace, but believes you have to work, so that your works in connection with God's grace that saves you, if you come out of that, then this is important. You should cherish grace all the more. This means that when you come to Christ, His death on the cross, His death on the cross brought an end to living under the law and legalism. We now live under grace and freedom in Jesus. And at the end of verse 14, here's what Paul's saying. There are some people that hadn't gotten it yet, and he's trying to edge those people to have their conscience governed by grace, not by guilt. Our conscience needs to be governed by grace and not overcome with guilt. Now, let me put um, just a little parenthesis here. Your concept of grace means that you, are, you can do whatever you want. God will forgive you. He's in the business of forgiving. You can presume on grace. You have missed grace altogether. Grace doesn't permit sin. Grace doesn't promote sin. Grace pays for sin at the cross of Jesus. And, and Paul is inviting people in this Roman church and, and us, he's inviting us more and more. I hope you more and more will be confident in the grace of God found at the cross of Jesus. It's what we call free grace. So we want to decide to not be a stumbling block we want to decide to be confident in grace, 13, 14. Now I'm going to give you uh, the 15th. You'll see another decision. We need to decide to protect God's people. So you see verse 13, you don't want to be a stumbling block. You see verse 14, you're confident in the grace that God has given you. You feel the freedom to live in a certain way that maybe other people think is sinful, but you know that it, the grace of God has covered that and it's not a violation of Scripture. So you're, you're living your life in the grace of God, and here comes verse 15. And, and in verse 15, Paul says you need to make sure you're protecting people. Verse, verse 15 is a great empathetic, verse 15 is a great empathetic, others-focused, cross-centered verse. Let me read it to you, <clears throat> verse 15. For if your brother, if your brother is grieved, by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You read that verse and you feel it, right? You've, Paul has already said in verse 14, he's already stated how convinced he is about his own freedom in Jesus Christ, but now he's, 
Now, he, ins he insists on us and demands that we live our life aware of other people. Look, if, if you live your life and you demand to be able to live your life the way you want and you don't care what other people think of you and as long as you're not hurting other people and you're not dishonoring God or you're, you're living under what it means to be a Christian and you don't care what other people think about you and you're going to exercise your rights, even when it damages another struggling believer, then, then, you, then you've got Christianity all wrong. In this verse, you feel it. There's tremendous responsibility. Look at it with me in verse 15. He says, now you need to be thinking about your, if your brother or sister is a family member. If your brother, you see that word, is grieved. If your brother is grieved, if what you're doing is, is making her weep, if it's hurting her own walk with Jesus, then you're not walking in, in love. And look at the very end of verse 15. You're destroying. Let me pause there and say, as believers... In Jesus, we have a tremendous interconnected responsibility for one another. But it's not only that. You'll notice that Paul mentions in this verse there's tremendous value. No, notice that it's a brother, one that, that is love. But notice at the end of verse 15 that value, the one for whom Christ died. Look around you, church. That's one for whom Christ died. You have here the infused, intrinsic value of a, of a blood-bought brother or sister in Christ. Look, if, if Christ has paid that price for a brother, the blood of Jesus on the cross, if, if Christ has paid that price for a brother, then how could we refuse to pay the price of holding our tongue a little bit? Or how could we refuse to pay the price of not doing something we know is going to be harmful to another person? You know what you have here? This is, the, this is the radical Christian ethic tied tightly to the cross of Jesus. That's why we don't go very far from the cross. It keeps us here. And we want to do those things of God that are going to actually strengthen the people of God. We need to decide the right things. That's the first point. Let me give you a second point. <clears throat> Number two, we not only need to decide the right things, we need to hold on. We need to hold on to the right things. Let me show you where I get that. You'll see it in verse 16, 17, and 18, and I'll even take a glance and blow at verse 19. What do I mean when I say we need to hold on to the right things? Well, we need to Verse 16 tells us we need to protect the reputation of grace. Since we are people of grace, we believe in grace, we preach grace, that, that forgiveness and love is found at the cross of Jesus, it's grace, we need to make sure we are protecting the reputation of grace. Let me show it to you. It's right there in verse 16. <clears throat> Notice what he says in verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. What does it mean about that? Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Well, here's what he's doing. Paul is pointing back to his declaration in verse 14. Remember that freedom he talked about in verse 14? That he's convinced, he's persuaded in Christ Jesus that, that there's, there's nothing that's unclean. So, so now Paul says, okay, that is a good thing, but you need to make sure that you don't let that 
get talked about like it's evil. You might, you might read it like this. Do not let what you regard as good, which is Christian liberty, Christian freedom, don't let that Christian freedom be talked about as if it were evil. You, you understand that the way we live is putting grace at stake and, and is warning mature believers. So if you consider yourself a mature believer, I don't mean an old believer, but I mean someone that's, you know, mature in the faith. And let's say you consider yourself uh, you're maturing in, in grace. So if you're a mature believer and you've got a firm grasp on grace, you know that you can live your life and not as a, under legalism, but you are living with this wonderful freedom of conscience in Christ. Let, let me just say this passage is telling us if you've got a firm grasp on grace, don't rub your freedom in Jesus in the face of a brother or sister that's still trying to figure out what it means to live in grace. Because if you do, what happens is that which Christian liberty, which is a good, good thing, verse 16, don't let the good thing be talked about like it's evil. What happens is if you're not careful, we ruin the reputation of grace, and that is what we're all about. So we do preach, preaching grace. There's something else in verse 17. That was 16. Let's go down to verse 17. You'll, you'll see a whole lot in verse 17. In fact, when you look at verse 17, you see that we need to focus. We need to focus as a church on what is important. There's a whole sermon in verse 17. In fact, that's why I didn't finish out the passage. So if you're angry with me of slowing down, just blame verse 17. You look at verse 17 and you'll see um, so much strength in it. Let me read it and uh, point out a couple of things in verse 17. For the kingdom of God, that's an important concept, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. A couple of things to see there. If you have a pen, you can circle it in your Bible if you want to. This is the only time that Paul uses the phrase kingdom of God. We've been going through Romans almost two years. We'll finish it out this year. This is the first time he used the phrase kingdom of God. Now look what he says the kingdom of God is. If he's going to use it one time, he's not talking about something that's far off. He's talking about what's going on right now. Look what he says about the kingdom of God. That God's kingdom is higher and holier and deeper than any petty arguments that you might have about consumables, eating and drinking. And Paul says there's this dynamic trio of what the kingdom of God is. You see the trio? Verse 17, you already heard, some of you already saw it. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's just take those words and see what Paul is talking about. That first word is the word righteousness. If you've been here for some time, you've been going through the book of Romans, you find out that righteousness is actually the central theme of the book of Romans. That righteousness is the driving home of the gospel. That righteousness actually addresses the universal problem of being a human being. What that problem is, is that we are actually not righteous. 
I mentioned depravity earlier. That means we are sinful by birth, we are sinful by choice. When I say total depravity, I don't mean that you are actually as bad as you possibly can be when you're totally depraved. That's not what total depravity is, although it sometimes feels like that's what it is. That's not what it is. Total depravity is that there's not any part of who we are that has not been affected by sin in some way. So that every decision that we make outside of Christ, every decision we make, even the good decisions, have been tainted by sin in some way. We're sinful by birth, sinful by choice, unrighteous. It's why we say hurtful things from time to time. It's why we fall into a it's why you fall into addictive behavior. It's why you commit sexual sins. Just list them, whatever. It's why we desire power and advantage over people. In short, it is why the way, it is why the world is the way it is. Depravity. Soaked in sin. And the righteousness of God, Paul says, that's the kingdom of God. It is righteousness. And the righteousness of God is given to us in a person. Righteousness is a person. Jordan even saying about it. Holiness is a person, has a name. It's Jesus. It's why the life of Jesus is so important to us. Why? He lived perfectly. Because in order to be acceptable to God, we have to be perfect. That means we got a problem. Because none of us are perfect. You probably have even said that before as a way to kind of soften the blow of something bad you did. Well, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You didn't know that when you said that, you were actually admitting that you are totally depraved. If you say that you're not perfect, we, we need perfection. We don't have it. We need the perfection of another to actually cover us. We need the perfection of another to stand in our place. It's why when we sing another song, the the great exchange or the divine exchange, it's why it's so important that we understand what happens at the cross is an exchange. When you repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, Jesus takes your sin. That's why he died on the cross. It's a punishment for sin. Jesus takes your sin, and the exchange is his righteousness is given to us. That's what this is, righteousness. The old theologians used to call it Imputed righteousness, I-M-P-U-T-E-D. Righteousness of God put on you through faith. Or you might call it alien righteousness. Not aliens like in outer space. Alien if to say that righteousness came from someone else and has come to you. You know what this does? This removes your need to earn. This removes your need to, to do good out of guilt. This removes your need to gain your salvation through being good. Only Jesus is good and only his life can save. The kingdom of God is trusting in righteousness given to us freely at the cross of Jesus. Paul says the kingdom of God is not food and drink, it's righteousness. But that's not, only it. That's not all the kingdom of God is, verse 17. The kingdom of God is righteousness, but there's another word there. <clears throat> It's the word peace. You see it, peace. It's the Greek word, irene. It's connected probably to the Hebrew word that you're more familiar with, which is shalom. It's the idea of wholeness or settledness or contentment. 
this contentment or wholeness or settledness, it shows up uh, primarily in two ways. We, we talk about this peace in two ways, and they're both connected to one another. We, we talk about having peace with God, which is vertical, and then having the peace of God that helps us in this horizontal world. And maybe you don't have the peace of God because you've not settled it to have peace with God. And, and that's what the gospel gives. That's what righteousness is about. That's what Paul meant back in Romans chapter 5 when he said uh, in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we actually now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the, the cross of Jesus provides us peace with God, and once you have that, now you can have the, the peace of God. I mean, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we need right now, the peace of God? Certainly that's what Paul talked about in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. That's a good one to memorize. Look, it's a great one to memorize. Remember what he said in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 4, Philippians? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. People are going to say, how is she going through that? She has the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that's going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is the kingdom of God. And as a church, this is what we focus on. This is what the church is put here for. To, to, to proclaim the gospel of the righteousness of God and the need of people to be made right with God through the gospel. And all of this brings us to one last fabulous word in verse 17. Do you see it? It's the word joy. Righteousness, look at verse 17. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy. Not just any kind of joy, it's joy in the Holy Spirit. That little phrase, in the Holy Spirit, probably dominates all three of those words, righteousness and peace and joy, but I like the way Paul put it there for us, joy in the Holy Spirit. You know what that is? That's the joy of the Lord. That, that's vital. You hear me pray for our church that, that men and women would have the joy of the Lord. Why? Because the Bible says that it is the joy of the Lord that becomes my strength. That's what's going to that's what's going to carry you through. That's, that's what's going to give you contentment in the crisis. That's what's going to give you foundation to stand on when you really are wrestling with something. That's going to be the grace that sustains you. And in verse 18, he caps it off. Notice what he says in verse 18. Whoever thus, you see that word thus, you don't use it very often. Paul points back to verse 17. Whoever thus serves Christ, whoever thus focuses on the kingdom, which is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, Paul says whoever serves the Lord like that, that person, verse 18, is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, normally, normally we get those out of order. We want to be approved by people and hope we are acceptable to God 
Paul says, no, the kingdom of God is something different. The kingdom of God is the righteousness of Christ. The kingdom of God is peace with God. The kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit. I want you to hold on to those things. I want to be a person that that's not distracted by the kingdom of man, but is focused on the kingdom of God. I want us to be a church that, that embraces the liberty and the freedoms that we have in the grace of the Lord Jesus, but also while embracing those freedoms, we do so with a real sense of the responsibility that you and I have for one another and a laser focus on the gospel of Jesus, the kingdom of God, which is righteousness found in Christ, peace with God that comes by the cross, and the joy of the Lord that will always be our strength. Thank God for his good grace to us. Would you join me as we pray together? Amen. With your heads bowed this morning, I just want to invite uh, any of you here, if you're watching online, even if you're not, if you're in the room, and I'm so glad that you are, uh, you should know that your pastors pray for you. We are a church that believes in praying for one another, so when you have concerns or you want to talk about something, you can mail that in, email it in. You can, through if you're a guest, if you can register online, you can just, just as long as we have a way to contact you, we can pray for you and have that, have that before us as pastors of this church. Some of you just want to be able to talk. We're not quite where we can just all hang around together. We hopefully are going there pretty soon. But as we close this morning, after I pray, we're going to have one more song. It's just a, a time of worship. That song is there for us, not just a closing song. It is there for us to declare our gratefulness to God, our, our worship as we close out a morning of hearing about the kingdom. Father, thank you for the grace you give us in Jesus. We pray that you will receive our worship, that you are honored in our lives, that we live this week in Christian liberty, the grace you give us, and Christian responsibility, taking care of one another. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.